Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. You receive 125% sign-up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with an Integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet US. Chris, I hope all is well. Welcome into the Alabama Scouting Board here on Tide 100.9. Yeah, it's good to be with you as always. Uh, hope all is well with you. Well, a little bit better attitude in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, even Nick Saban, uh, a little happier after the game. He said, we played four, four, four quarters, which is good. But uh, I always open up the question and just kind of give me your analysis of Alabama's victory in Starkville. Well, yeah, it definitely was a good performance. And I knew it was, we talked last week about how it, it differs. Every week's a different challenge because styles make matchups, styles make fights. So it was you were not going to have to deal with the running game. And it was about how you matched up, how you pattern match, how you defended the screens, how you defended the crossers, uh, played a lot of dimes. So, you know, it was it, it set up for a real opportunity for the secondary to play pretty well. And they did. Will Anderson was really good. I mean, you just, you had a couple of what I would call elite performances by a couple of Alabama defenders, but they had a really good game plan. They executed it very well. On the offensive side, I just uh, chuckled and I, I tweeted it out during the game. I try to tweet out during the game and watching all the games. And <laughs> I kind of sensed in the short yardage goal line situation that um, there was a come to Jesus meeting this past week of we're going to find a way to run the football. If we're not blocking well up front, we're going to put uh, some extra blockers in there and we're going to run it and we're going to run it well. And, and you know, I – So one way or another, they were going to get it done, and they they were able to do that. So that was good. And, um, you know, on to to bigger and better things and bigger and better challenges. And um, uh, But I thought it was a really good performance, you know. But uh, it's it's interesting how different teams provide different matchups, and sometimes you adjust to them a little bit better, and they did. Hey, Chris, one of the things, and I'm going to do my best to try to explain this. I'm not sure if I'm going to do a great job, but I'll I'll try. Nick Saban talked about calling plays, and he said when you're going fast, he said with everything that you're doing, 
you've almost got to call timeout to change the play. Um, I, I talked to two former players last night on, on another show that I do, and uh, they didn't really agree with that. They, they said, well, you know, if you, you know, you check out of it, you know, you look at the sidelines. Uh, Nick Saban might have been just trying to take a little heat off Bill O'Brien uh, from the previous week. But uh, he said, you know, it's hard to change. He said that's one of the reasons why they called a timeout and got the jumbo package in there. He said, but it's so hard because you're calling plays. You know, I, I would assume the way that he explained it, you, you're, you know, if you're calling second and seven, you've already got your play called almost for third down, getting it down. Is that really the way it works? Uh, well, yeah, no. I mean, so you you normally have your idea of what you want to call the next play, but down and distance matters. So obviously, second and seven, or you know, what's going to turn out to be, let's say, third and two or third and five is going to be a little bit of a different. But but you you kind of know, all right, this is kind of what we're thinking. And obviously, you you, you got to be prepared if it's, you know, third and 12, if you took a sack or a negative play. So you have an idea what you want to do. But the issue is with what you want to do, if you're going to go fast, then you have to go with the personnel that you have. So when you want to get into the red zone, you may want to run some special, like they were running some special, some jumbo packages. Well, that's not going to be what you're doing. So you can't run that fast because you don't have the personnel in to do it. So when you get in in that situation, you got to run the personnel on and you got to have enough time to do it. Or, you know, obviously it's important enough to where you have to, th- is it worth taking a timeout to make sure we get the right play to secure the touchdown? Now. I'm I'm more inclined to consider that in the first half, Ryan, calling a timeout. I I you have to pry timeouts out of me like, you know, nothing in the second half. I just I, I gotta keep those, you know, I just gotta keep them. Um but yeah, so I don't know if that answers it, but but yeah, you have concepts and the ability to check in to an alternate play but it's with the personnel that you've got in. If you're going to make a what you would call a drastic change, like we're going to run jumbo package, well, you, you're not running it, you know, on a certain set. You got to get that jumbo package in there. And do you have enough time to do it? And the other thing, too, and this is, this is one thing, people, where is it? So keep in mind, the hash marks are wider in college. If you're on your hash mark or on your side of the bench, it's a lot easier to run it in. And if you're in that midfield, let's call it the 20 to 20, it's easier to get it in. You talk about if it's on the far hash and it's on the goal line, that's a long way for to get a package in, and you almost have to use a timeout. So you got to say, well, what's more important, getting it done on this play, getting the best play in with the best personnel grouping, or do we need the timeout? And that's a that sometimes can be a challenging call and the situation dictates the best way to do it. We're talking to Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com is the website. Uh, let's go to Will Anderson's play. Um, uh, four sacks. And, you know, when you start throwing a records that uh, hadn't been done since like 1988, 1989, and you start mentioning the word Derek Thomas, and I, I'm kind of hesitant because, you know, watching Derek Thomas, he was a beast, uh, you know, watching Cornelius Bennett beast, uh, Will Anderson is, is certainly a great player in his mind, but when you start putting in statistical, uh, analysis and, and you're going, well, it hadn't been done since Eric Thomas did it in 88 and 89, you know, four sacks in a game, Will Anderson 
uh, had a great game at Starkville. He did, and you know, I just I, I'm 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 with you there. I think that Will's making a name for himself, and he's he's pretty doggone good in his own right. And um, if he can become a the dominant player consistently week in and week out, um, that you know, he is a guy that you have to adjust your protections to. We talk a lot about say a great receiver, and Alabama's had those, and you've had multiple guys. Um, you have to dictate your coverage to enroll your safety away to help out on a certain guy. And that, that makes it open for other guys. Well, you have to do the same thing trying to block guys like this. And I uh, had the unfortunate task being on the staff to try to, you know, block the Derek Thomas. And um, that's difficult. You've got to slide protection. You've got to be aware of, you've got to overplay him to some degree. Um He's just been outstanding, no question. You know, they opened up in that dime package, and, you know, LeBron Ray got the start with Phil Mathis and the nose, and, um, you know, I, plenty of three-down fronts in the game. I thought, their, I thought their overall, you know, four-man pressures were pretty good because of Will Anderson, and when he wasn't getting home, he was drawing enough attention to where there was enough pressure away from him. I just keep thinking, you know, and I – I mentioned this, um, and I was looking at this, oh, gosh, it may have been like Friday night, you know, when I kind of had a little time to breathe. And I was kind of reflecting on some of the things we talked about last week. And because I was thinking in terms of, of Will Anderson and, and thinking about where he stacks up. But just if you go back and look, we talk about how great recruiting, the recruiting classes, classes of Alabama has been, and, and they have been. But even at Alabama, you go back over four or five years, the defensive linemen, there was, I think I counted five, Ryan, five deep, four or five defensive linemen that are four or five star caliber guys over the past several years that are no longer on the team. So when you when you start talking about, you know, the echo for the guys like that, they were, they were expected. We expected that. So when you're looking at a lot of times when we throw in, what's, why is this Alabama defense not great? Yeah, there's some things we can point out to coaching. Yeah, there's some things we can point at to certain situations and making adjustments. But, you know, a lot of it is there have been times in the past where, you know, you can have some – Could you? and I just kept thinking, could you imagine if you had uh, a Jonathan Allen, <laughs> an Ashawn Robinson – type player which those guys were kind of thought to be could you imagine if you throw those guys on with a will anderson that's kind of what is maybe a little bit of difference of what what it's looking like at georgia now versus alabama some of it is yeah they've recruited well and they're ranked high but if those guys don't stay and develop then maybe you're not as good relatively speaking as you have been and um, I think that's one of the things that's affected this defense over the past few years is I tried to drill down to it over a little bit more. It's still very good. It's still very, very good. But by Alabama standards, there are times where it's been better. And what what is the difference? Well, some of it may be coaching, Ryan, but some of it is some of those guys just didn't pan out. And when you have three or four of them, that's a, it shows up, right? Absolutely. Um I want to ask you about Henry Toa Toa. Um, something clicked. Um, had a, had a lot of tackles, and you know I, I know that he's taken some criticism in the first part of the 
uh, the season, but uh, had a great game against Mississippi State with Henry Toa Toa leading the team in tackles, 13 of them. We got his first sack. The, the thing that he does very well, he plays well in space. So the, the reason why he's going to be really good in a game like this is that he is a fast flow player. He can play in space. He can drop in coverage. He's great in pursuit. He's, you know, not going to be as good. Like, for example, in some of the problems and maybe some of the games with, with the, against tempo, it's about getting lined up. And if you're a little bit late with your run fit or you overrun or you try to make a play, then that's when you say, oh, man, that guy's missing plays and missing tackles. Well, that's a lot of it. it. It's I think what's happened is the style of offense that they played fit very well to his skill set, and which is why I think his his skill set's so good. It's good for the next level, and I think he can be a really good player for Bam. I also think he's starting to settle in a little bit. You know, when you have some issues, whatever they may be, when you're having a little trouble with being disciplined in your gap and fitting the run. You know, when you've got a you've got to come in and defend the run or defend that gap, sometimes you have to, based upon your scheme, if you want to run some stunts, you've got to you've got to replace the gap. Meaning if you've got a defender that's gonna have the front side A gap and he's gonna twist out of it to run a twist, well then you gotta have somebody that's got to fill that gap. And a lot of times if you're without of that rhythm, it's no different than a quarterback and a receiver being on the same page. It's it's also the defensive line and the linebackers and replacing that fit in a timely fashion. And I think some of that's been a problem, and that's been some of the issues I've seen with him defending the run. But he's pretty good in his pass drops. He's been really good. We're talking to Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. LandryFootball.com as uh, we get things started as we uh, continue there. I want to talk about Tennessee, and I, I want to look at this Alabama-Tennessee game for a couple of different minutes, but I, I'd like to just stop before we get there and look at this program. Do you feel like that it's hard to evaluate in you know five or six games, but it, it just seems like Josh Hopple has at least got them trending in the right way. Um, you see that? Look, the guy understands offense. He understands tempo. And if you want to make a comparison, you know, he comes from the same idea and thought process as, as Jeff Levy of Ole Miss. You know, kind of that same dynamic. We want to run a 90 to 100 plays, 100 snaps. That's what he wants to do. So his offenses will work. Now, he it, certainly getting Joe Milton out of the game where there were so many inaccurate throws, it probably cost them the pit game, quite frankly. I mean, there, there was just like, I think, nine overthrows, Ryan. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, but Hendon Hooker's been really effective, and I got banged up last week. He's a little bit more of a calming effect. The quarterback play is – it's a quarterback-friendly offense. The tempo helps get it right matchups defensively to go up against and they can throw it. They do a good job with their route concepts. He's done a good job there. Now, the one thing I will say that's impressed me or surprised, because that part I just mentioned, I kind of expected the offense to be pretty good um, because I just, they are always pretty good. The defense is not good and I'm not going to sell anybody on the defense, but I have seen them and I saw it last week. They had a, Anybody saw that game, and I know it was the the story was what happened with the fans and the stuff on the field. Sure, but lost in that was you know the defense, while vulnerable, 
got off the field against Ole Miss enough to give their offense a chance to win the game. And I couldn't have told you that was going to be the case. So, yes, that's a, 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 a long answer of, yeah, I think he's got them ahead of schedule. Now, they've not beaten good teams yet. I don't know that they will, but quite frankly, I, 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 did, I didn't know that I had them winning three games this year, <laughs> four games. Um, they, they're ahead of where I thought they would be. It's going to come down to recruiting, getting better personnel on that defense, and you know I think they're ahead of schedule. So I'm, I'm at least impressed with what he's done to this point. Um, I think this is going to be quite the challenge this week, and much like I've always said, and I, we can get into this a little bit more, but you know, I think the defensive game plan that Alabama structurally and fundamentally had against Ole Miss is, can be replicated this week because this is a lot of what Tennessee wants to do. So there'll be some modifications, but this is more along the lines of the game plan that they had for Ole Miss as opposed to Mississippi State because it's more of stylistically like what the Revs like to run. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. We'll take questions. Uh, if you want to tweet those or if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can call at 205-342-9904. Uh, we'll take questions whether you have about this Alabama team or, or any other team in college football. Chris can pretty much knock it out of the park. Uh, but, Chris, I, I want to go back. When Philip Fulmer stepped aside, his final year at Tennessee, five and seven. I mean, think about this, five and seven. Not excuse me, five and seven, seven and six, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four. And they criticized the guy because his name is Butch Jones. Uh, and I know he said some funny things, quirky, but I mean, that was really the highlight of the last, you know, what, 15 years. So nine and four, nine and four in consecutive seasons. Then they went back four and eight, five and seven, eight and five, three and seven, four and three. I mean, that, that'll put right there will be enough to destroy a program. I mean, oh, that- you, you're right. You have a um, – and, and people, you know, will throw things out like, well, they never should have got rid of Philip Fulmer. Well, well, that wasn't the issue. The issue is, you know, as I like to say, if you got a, a spoiled carton of milk in the refrigerator, the answer is not to put it back and think it's going to taste better tomorrow. You got you to gotta get a new one, and you got to get, get one that, that tastes well. They, they – they made a hire with Lane. That was unfortunate for them in it one year. And then it was a late leave, if you remember, to go to USC. So Derek Dooley, late hire, bad. And then you're right. Butch Jones did the better job of the bunch, and yet it wasn't, you know, uh, what, what they had um, – what they had – what their expectation was. But then it's, you know, it's – another hire and the last hire was a disaster and it's still feeling it. And now I'm sure you probably talked about with that. So yeah, you, uh, there's nothing can ruin a program. Then subsequent bad hire after bad hire after bad hire. It could set it back a long time yet. You know, it's a place that you can win. It's a place that with right direction, um, you can build some hope. My concern about Josh, as I just said, good thing is, is he ever going to have the type of defense? And I think you could say the same thing about Lane Kiffin because I don't think they value defense enough. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about giving lip service to defense. 
you've got to play complementary football with the ability to help your defense off with how you play offense. Josh, like Lane, they don't. It's about their offense, and they're going to win win or lose, live or die with their offense. And the, the level of defense is going to be, can you come up with a few stops here or there on third down or the red zone? Can you create enough turnovers to steal an extra possession for offense? Because we're going to light up the scoreboard and we're going to win that way. And I think that might be exciting enough at certain places in the SEC. But if you go back to the at least the old guard at Tennessee, and a lot of them, have never seen Tennessee win. Think about that. All that, all those records. You got, you got a whole generation that doesn't even know Tennessee was good. But the old guard at Tennessee thinks about Coach Nealon and the great defense and Al Wilson. I'm afraid they're never going to be that under Josh, just because of his style. Now they may win, they may be exciting, but I don't know in three years if they're winning eight games, nine games. You just said it wasn't enough for Butch Jones. So I don't know, but at least. If it can get it on track, you know, it's been off track for so long. Just get the sucker on the track. And even if it's moving slowly or, you know, maybe in the wrong direction, at least they can redirect it. But I at least see some positives. But, yeah, that's a program. And here's the other thing about it. I would make the case that the Tennessee job and the potential is better than it's ever been. Ryan, do you know that – there are 32 different families moving into the city of Nashville every day. Wow. And the talent level in middle Tennessee, remember the old, well, at Tennessee, you're going to have to go out of state and get all of your players because you got some of them in Memphis, a few in East Tennessee. I'm telling you, the mid-state area is starting to produce a lot of quality players. So you've got a little bit more to work with in state. And of course you've got a lot of good bordering states. So I think the job has potential. It's just whether they found the right guy and they have, you know, a tough road. And then of course they got to play Alabama every year. And that's, that's never, never good. We're talking to Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. We call it the Alabama Scouting Report, and I'm getting about a half a dozen texts a minute. Uh, ask him about LSU. Ask him about LSU. Ask him about LSU. I'm going to do that. It's in the next segment, <laughs> okay? I mean, we got to talk Alabama. This is the Alabama Scouting Report, but I guess we could always tie it in because Alabama does play LSU. We're going to ask you about LSU and where they go from here. We're going to ask you about that. We're going to ask you about this Alabama-Tennessee game. That's all coming up next right here on the Alabama Scouting Report. Chris Landry, I'm Ryan Fowler. So we welcome you right back into the game here in Tuscaloosa, and I will do everybody a favor, and I'll work in the Alabama LSU angle here. But uh, we're talking to Chris Landry. It's the Alabama Scouting Report. That's Chris Landry. I'm Ryan Fowler. Let's stop right here, and we'll do Chris Landry, or we'll do LandryFootball.com. We'll talk about it at the end as well, but I always like to give you a chance to Talk about the incredible website and all the information that you're able to offer. Tell me more about LandryFootball.com. Yeah, it's it's where you go to get all of our information. We got all our podcasts up there. Um, I know we'll talk about the LSU situation. I have talked about it on the SEC show, and I'm actually going to do a podcast uh, in about an hour and a half, uh, the Landry Football Podcast, where I'm going to talk about coaching searches and 
things that I've been involved in, some of the things that I think are intriguing that maybe are a little bit misnomers from outside, you know, versus inside. But got all stuff like that, all the podcasts of everything that's going on with that situation and others. And then obviously all the, the inside information over at LandryFootball.com, our notebooks every day of what's going on in practices, college and NFL, the game previews where we take you inside the film room and tell you about how we see the games playing out, and then we review them inside the film room to tell you what happened. So it's one-stop shopping football. It's like having your coaching and scouting department for less than a magazine subscription. So check it out today. All right, so here we go. I know you've been asked the million-dollar question, but um, were you shocked that LSU and and Coach O went to this uh, announcement uh, before we ever got to November? I was not. what has happened is basically going into the season, there was a lot of concern based upon what's happened off the field that's led to a lot of what I would not be exaggerating, calling it chaos and dysfunction and disorganization inside LSU football uh, operations. Um, since the national championship you know, game and uh, of, of a couple of years ago, we're going back bad coaching hires, coaches getting hired without even getting interviewed, um, other issues that are too numerous to, to even go into, that it just were dealing with the football fundamental parts of how you operate a football organization was just a mess to the point where I think, I know the administration was concerned going into this season that that this might, be a problem and it could come to a head this year. We go into the season and there's things that happened before the UCLA game, during the UCLA game, and in the locker room after the UCLA game that were significant enough to suggest to the administration that it is no longer a possibility, but a probability we're going to have to move on. And so that's when the money began to get raised for what was going to ultimately likely be the buyout. And that was being done behind the scenes, of course. Then the season played out. The Auburn game was not a a, a pretty picture. Uh, and then the Kentucky game the next week, and it was a disaster. I mean, they dominated LSU like I don't know that I've seen too many teams outside of a couple of butt whoopings that Alabama's given to people over the years and Georgia. I mean, this was a big time embarrassing loss to the point where that's where it it was the end. And that's when it became negotiated. And people have asked me, so I'll I'll just answer the question. "Well, Well, why is he still there? Why wouldn't they just let him go? right now. Well, and and why wouldn't they if all these problems are off the field, why wouldn't they just fire them with cause, you know, and 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 try to get the money back? Very simply. Um I'll answer it in one full swoop. There's been Title IX investigations and two other major we're talking investigations, not school investigations, not NCAA investigations, but bigger ones of which there's a lot of stuff that they really don't care to get out. Because Ed doesn't want it to get out because it's in his closet. And if it if it's if it comes out, then it's embarrassing for LSU too. So Mark Emmert, uh, Mark Emmert, listen to me, Scott Woodard, who worked for Mark Emmert and kind of learned the PR part of this that 
Look, the best thing to do is to have a kumbaya moment. And we love Ed. He brought us the title and he's going to finish out and we thank him. And it's, it's a way basically to say, Ed, here's the NDA, the non-disclosure agreement. You keep your mouth shut. You get your 17 million over 18 installments through, you know, 2025. And, you know, we'll, we'll be good to you and you won't, we won't say what's in your closet. You won't say what's in ours. That's why they're doing it, to be honest with you. And so what, do you want a situation that's going on at Tennessee right now? Jeremy Pruitt suing Tennessee and Philip Fulmer saying this and um, basketball coach is saying, I mean, that's a, that's a mess. That's going to, and then, so if you're an athletic director, it, you're going to have to go ahead and, if if you sued Ed or tried to fire him now or tried to take his money, you know what he's going to do. He's going to talk. He's a live wire. And you're going to have a complete disaster, blood on your hands, and you're trying to hire, have a coaching search during that. It makes a lot of sense when you know what goes on behind the curtains. Uh, and so, look, the team will play free. Um it had nothing to do with the Florida game. This was decided before the Florida game. They won or lost. This was going to happen. And they may have a successful run the West of the year. They may lose all their games. Whatever, they're moving on, but they're moving on peacefully, costly. But think about it. If you begin to fight it in court, who's going to get rich? The lawyers. And then no one's going to win in the PR area. So that's the reason for it. That's how we got here. That's where we are, and now Mark will keep the, this. Uh, I keep saying Mark. Gosh, Scott will keep this search to himself. William Tate, the new president, will will certainly want to have some say so, but he's going to let Scott make this decision, and that's kind of where we are on it. Give me a few names that that you think are are truly candidates, and and not just. You know, as Nick Saban would remind us, we throw things against the wall and we'll see if it stick. But uh, you're there, your boots on the ground. You've you've got connections in that program. Uh, not saying that we can narrow it down to you know two guys, but I mean, just give me a few names that you're here. Well, let me full disclosure. So as you know, I've mentioned before, I, I do a lot of coaching search work, but a lot of it is coaching evaluations, like player evaluations. So. I mean, I have maybe thoughts and ideas that might be good fits. I don't know what Scott's going to do. Um, Scott's going to keep it to himself. He's going to keep it quiet. He's got an A-list. I think he's got three or four there on that A-list, which is guys that he ideally would like to have. And then I think there's a B-list of guys that that maybe that he would like that may end up being even better than the A-list. You never know. But he's maybe not as comfortable with why they're on the B-list. Um, what I will say this is that he has this – when you hear stuff floated out, the two things. One, the media will, will throw out – they throw out the same 40 names. And, well, my sure. goodness, add 20 more names and you've named every coach. It's bound to be one of them, my goodness. Uh, so you see that. But there's also um, – a little bit of Scott learned this from this. He was a lobbyist in the state legislature. And you know, the old political uh, uh, term they use uh, uh, a trial balloon, like they'll float a name out there. 
there are a couple of things. One, he'll float a name out there to the media. He won't, but somebody will, and it can do one of two things. A, it can help plug up a leak. Find out who's leaking because you'll say three different people, and you know if Bruce Feldman reported this, you know where it's coming from because you gave three different names to three different people. So you got that, too. It, it creates a smoke screen. And then also, in a case of a candidate that might be considered, I don't know, controversial or eye-raising, to see where your fan base and your public floats with that. Not that it's going to make your decision for you, but it tells you what you're going to need to do from a PR standpoint, once you make your decision. In other words, you make the decision on base you think who you think's the best coach. But what does everybody do after they make that announcement, Ryan? They try to sell you on why it's the great coach and all that. It happens, and I think that's what's going on. I know I didn't answer your question because I really can't, and I and I'm not look, if I knew who they were gonna hire, I couldn't tell you sure. because then that would be a, a real big problem I would get into, but I don't know. Okay. I mean, I think we can speculate on a number of people, and certainly I have no problem with saying I'm not as high on this guy as other people are, or I like this guy a little bit more. I like the fit. I don't like the fit. But for the sake of time, I'll let the listeners and callers or whatever maybe – but there's like, you know, we can probably go through 15 names. That probably takes more time than, than, than we need to on this. But I'm, I'm willing to – we got plenty of time because the days and weeks ahead – uh, there's a lot that's going to be speculated on, and I'll be glad to – I'm not going to avoid it. I just don't know that I'm going to have the answers that people are going to want in, in the, the fashion that they want it. What do you do you feel like Lane Kiffin is, is a true candidate? I, I think that um, – I, I would say that I would be on the side of knowing Scott Woodard as that's probably not the move he would make. But um, so I, I would leave it at that. Okay. okay. I'd say probably not. I don't. I can't say for certain. But I would say, knowing him, it's probably not where he'd want to go. How would you evaluate? I mean, not just for this, but I mean, this guy's guy is going to become a pretty hot name, Mel Tucker. Uh, and I know even Coach Saban talked about him this morning on the teleconference. He was asked about Mel Tucker from uh, one of the Michigan newspapers up there of just how, what he's been able to do. Um, your thoughts on Mel Tucker? I mean, not for the LSU job, but just yeah, no. And look, here's the thing. Uh, I, I'll even mention him in, in in terms of the LSU and where that could be at some point. All right, Mel, I think is an outstanding coach. Um, obviously, uh, when Nick Saban hires you three times, you know that that says something. Um, he's coached at Georgia. He's coached at Alabama. He's been a really good coach. He's a really good leader. Went to Colorado. You know, the one year didn't do a bad job at all, five and seven. <clears throat> it was unusual. <clears throat> pardon me. Left after one year to go to Michigan State and was hired late, and it ended up being the COVID year. He's done a phenomenal job there. Um, going to end up going to the game against Michigan, both probably seven and oh, if Michigan beat Northwestern this week, and I think they will. And he's done it with transfer portal guys. He's plugged in holes. They've got a lot of guys that return what I call the super seniors or the COVID seniors have come back. He's done a really good job. The The thing is, is to me, ideally, if you're going to be at a place like LSU, ideally now, you would like to see him do this three or four more years at Michigan State. In other words, 
I think people put a lot into whether somebody turns a program around. I think that's really good indicator of what a guy can do. But let me tell you what I think is the biggest indicator and the toughest thing to do is to sustain a program. I see plenty of guys turn it around and then it levels off and then it goes back down and then who can sustain it. And so if you're a level 10 program, do you or stay at a 10 or a nine and at worst an eight? If you're a level five program, do you go to a four and then, you know, maybe a back to five or four, or do you go to a two? I, I always look at that. And that's what we don't know about. There's some really good young coaches that have done it, but haven't done it for long and so the timing may not be ideal, but you also may get – it's kind of like evaluating a player. Well, Josh Allen may not be that good. He's at Wyoming. He's this crazy. That. He's got the skill set. He may end up being really, really good. Uh, and, and, and so you have to sometimes take that chance. How much of a chance? What are your other options all factored into it? I think Mel's going to be a really good coach, but I'd like to see him do it a little bit longer. I will say this. This is something that I think is relevant because it's been brought up by the commissioner, Greg Sankey. He is big on making sure, and all the commissioners are, they don't have a Rooney rule like in the NFL, but they are highly emphasizing giving minorities interviews for these head coaching openings. LSU recently, and I mean recently in the past few months, has hired their new president, William Tate. He's the first African-American president in the history of LSU. I, I do think uh, he is not going to say, let's hire a minority head coach for football. That's not, but I do think getting at least one or two, if not three minorities an interview. And if it were to be a fit and Scott felt like it was a good fit, I, I think that president, I think he would like that. And I think he feels that would be something LSU's obviously not had a, I shouldn't say obviously, but people don't know, um, has never had a, a black head football coach. So uh, I think that's a factor. Mel's a good coach. I don't care what the race is. Uh, we shouldn't even be talking about it in this day and age, but it has been brought up and it is something that I think is going to be a big factor. It's one of the reasons why, quote, unquote, his name has been floated out there a little bit. I do think he'll get an interview. I don't think Mel is on the A list, but I think of that B list that I mentioned, I think he's on that list along with others. Where does he fit on that B list in the pecking order? Not sure I can answer that right now. That's Chris Landry. This is LandryFootball.com, the comprehensive website. We'll break here. We're going to squeeze in uh, a caller on the other side, and then we'll wrap up with Alabama, Tennessee. This is the Alabama Scouting Report. All right, so we're going to get into a couple of different things here, but I'm going to squeeze in a phone call here with Chris Landry, and I've got it just a couple of minutes here before the top of the hour, and we're done with Chris, and Chris has got to hop on another show. But, Tony, I'll let you in, and – uh, jump in with your question. I appreciate you calling in. Hey, Coach. How you doing? Tony, how are you, man? Hey, Chris. You there? Yep. Yeah, I, I, I am here. Yep. I am here. Hey, Tony, hey. how are you? Doing fine. Doing. Do, I'm doing well. Doing well. Hey, once again, incredible segment. Best segment of the week. Uh, your insight's unbelievable. Love it. Love it. 
Got a question for you. Alabama's pretty good when that Will Anderson guy shows up, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're, they're pretty good. And I'm curious to see if we'll see more of it. And, and um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see the complimentary ball come to play. And um, I, I thought it was real interesting. You know, uh, it's always interesting when Saban makes a comment, you really, everyone should pay attention because he doesn't waste his comments. And I, I think the thing that hits me is I just, I guess, cause I, I know back and I go back to things that he said is, and now maybe our team understands that, you know, that, that maybe, you know, you, you don't want to wait until you it, it's a loss before you realize there's a certain way we expect you to do things. So I, I thought the intensity was good, and I'm very curious to see where it goes. So a lot of people are still doubting them, and look, rightly so, when you play a game like they did against A&M. But, you know, they've got the, the rest of the season to, to show some consistency, and I'm curious to see what they can do. We tend to be a pretty tough out when we're the hunter as opposed to the hunted. Uh, that that is true. And the number two or less role. Hey, you know, I got one question for you. And I want to go through this. Um, you know, last week, Ole Miss, Tennessee game. Great game. Unbelievable effort by Tennessee. All everyone wanted to talk about were their fans' reaction to, frankly, and I don't know if you've watched any of the tape on it. Sounds like to me you watch tape of all the games. Mm-hmm. But I did. There, those were fraudulent calls. Those those were not bad calls, and it's not just that game. I mean, I look at how many calls that go to the replay booth that are obvious in every game, and they don't get it right. Oh, there, there's there's no, there's no question about that. This year. Yeah, you know what, and, and Ryan, if you – For a long time. Yeah. I really want your insiders. You've been sure. watching SEC football for a long time, and it's one thing for a blown call. But I'm telling you, these look fraudulent when it goes to the replay booth. And go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. And, yeah, no, look, I think – and Ryan, remind me if you would, this is maybe a good topic, you know, particularly when it's slow in the offseason. I, I have definite thoughts about – how to change the, the the way we officiate the game, and that it involves the technology in the real time. I, I think I, I think there's a lot of officials on the field that are looking over their shoulder. That I think it's tough to see things, and I think we know it because we see it. But oftentimes, I miss it when I watch it live. And I watch it even on replay. I'm not sure that it's this way or that way. And by the time I look at it three or four times, oh, no, they clearly missed that. But I think sometimes they're at a disadvantage. I think there was a lot of things that happened. I think we need to look at the uh, what I call the scuba call, which is the take a dive, you know, which is what a lot of that was done. That's a lot of an issue. I, I think we need to we need to look at that. But there's no question that I think officiating has deteriorated. I think it needs to become, but it's it's in conjunction with the fact that it's a faster game, that's more athletic, and 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 we see on all the different angles, we see the mistakes more than we used to before. And I think because of that, that's not going away. There are things we can do to make it better and hold people accountable. And I think we need to get into that. But uh, there's no question. But I, I will say this. I just I, I don't want fans to be throwing stuff on the field, even though they feel like they got 
cheated with their car. I don't, I don't think that's the answer. You know, I, I wouldn't want somebody to get in a road rage and pull out a gun and shoot somebody or do something that's going to hurt somebody. <laughs> I, but I completely understand being upset because there are reasons to be upset on both ways. I, I thought it was, was poorly done and we got to do some things to get it fixed. And I think the commissioner is going to be under a lot of pressure. It, it, it's not an sec thing. It's a football thing. It's an NFL thing. It's a college thing. And Ryan, if you're a mind, I'd like to get into that yeah. maybe in an off season or I mean, I mean, that's a good, that's a good hour. That's a good half an hour of ideas that it would take <laughs> that I really think, because it's just simple to say, need to fix it. We need to do that. We don't have time. I know on this today. Well, listen, Tony, I appreciate your phone call. i got to get Chris to another show. He's coming up here in just another uh, 60 seconds, but it's LandryFootball.com. 40, 49 to 20, 560 yards. Okay, 40, yeah. okay 49 to 20, 560. <laughs> got it. Thank you. Thank right. you, Tony. Uh, we appreciate it uh, there. We'll put uh, Tony back there, but uh, Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. He's got an appointment coming up in a couple of seconds, and I ask you to visit the website. I ask you to download all the content, LandryFootball.com. If you love football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com, all the comprehensive analysis. Hey, Chris, appreciate you, man. Hope you have a great uh, week and a weekend. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Hey, thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you. Take care. Have a great one. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.